This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery, and I am Maya Fisher-French. And each week, we chat to a money expert to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. While we can make plans to help us control our finances, as John Lennon famously said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. The reality is that unexpected events happen. And unfortunately, most often these are financially and emotionally destructive. This could be retrenchment, the loss of a spouse, or becoming seriously ill. So today we're chatting to Adam Helper about how to manage these events and what measures we can take to prepare for the unexpected. Adam has been a financial advisor for 13 years and has run a paperless life for the last six years. Adam, my first question to you is, what happens when Eskim switches the lights off? Good question, Maya. These devices do have batteries, don't they? I think they do. So because they do... We live and make plans. So you're quite comfortable in this paperless world of yours, given Eskom strikes and um, energy shortages and all the rest. It certainly makes it more challenging to remain paperless, but it's definitely there are workarounds. So uh, you get solar-powered power banks that power up computers. You get those inverters that power up a few devices at once. So definitely energy is around. So you are prepared for the expected. <laughs> Correct. Having no electricity is the expected. <laughs> well, let's move on and perhaps to, to more serious topics. Adam, one of the big life events we're seeing at the moment is retrenchment, you know, especially in the weak economy. So given that this is a reality, given that this should be something most people are aware of as being a possibility, as a financial advisor, where do you see, you know, planning for those events? How do people start preparing for that? It's quite easy when you look at what needs to be done pre anything happening. Let's say an individual comes to me and says, I have 10,000 rand a month to save on a monthly basis. Why? Because I have no other expenses and I want to save as much as possible. doesn't happen too often, but you do get youngsters (laughs) and millennials are generally more astute when it comes to money. Or people without school, children at school, I think. Let's let's say this would be preschool fees. Preschool fees, pre-settling down as such, Mm. in inverted Mm. commas. What I would say to an individual like that, and even if they say to me, Adam, I don't want any access to this money. I don't want to be able to use it. I don't want to be able to do anything with it. Take it away and invest it. Obviously, music to any broker or financial advisor's ears because they can fix you into a product. However, the correct advice, in my view, for an individual starting to save for the very first time in their careers is split it. Create, put some into a flexible pool and some into a fixed pool. When, and the lean times do come, and when they come, you will have enough on the flexible pool to fund the fixed pool commission. Mm. In fact, there were products in the early days, life products, that had a cash component, and it would feed off that should the policyholder not be able to pay those premiums. And it was almost like a built-in unit trust Mm. type cash product Mm. that was built into the Mm. policy. But due to legislation, that is no longer. Mm. But it's still important that you do think first about, about that kind of immediate Emergency, whether, because emergencies can come in any form. And obviously the worst sort of thing is your retrenchment. You know, you're out of a job. You need to have at least three months sort of saved. They say, they say in theory. But I mean, emergencies can be, you know, burst geezers, sick children, hospital bills. So really, a really, really important part in terms of that unexpected event. 
Correct. And 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you had cases where they were throwing credit cards at you because the National Credit Act wasn't as strong and strict as it is today. And people took the credits. And I would sometimes meet with them and I'd ask them, what is your, when I ask it, when I do a financial needs analysis, I sit with a client and they, I ask them, what is your actual facility? I'm not talking about how much you owe currently, but what is your facility? Because I consider the entire facility mm, as debt mm, if it's mm, there. Because mm, mm. they can uh, always use it. <laughs> they can use it at any time. That is a very false sense of security mm, mm, in my mm, view. Mm. Because, and you ask them, why don't you just close it if you don't use it? You're paying card fees annually. You're paying account fees. No, I just need it for a rainy day. For an emergency. Why don't you save for the emergency instead? Bingo. So mm. you've got to swap that mm. around. Mm. And rather have your own real money, mm. not the bank's money, mm. your own money mm. that you can use to mm. fund such mm. cases. So one of the challenges when someone is retrenched is actually dealing with that emotional state. You know, we go through the stages of grief and that starts with denial, um, which means that you don't want to acknowledge that you've just been retrenched. You want to think sometimes that you're going to bounce back initially in the first maybe month or two before reality hits. How do you as a financial advisor, what do you, what do you tell a client in that, in, in that moment, that kind of a week after retrenchment and they call you? What is your first bit of advice? So like any crisis, don't panic. It's not in your control. And we often become therapists as advisors <laughs> because grief any loss is is technically very hard to deal with, especially if it's your source of income. And having the correct plan in place, in fact, it's almost too late when you get retrenched. So what I say to an individual, if they have been retrenched, is firstly inquire. Most financial services com uh, credit providers do offer breathing period or a period where you can almost pause just until, even if it's for three months, it doesn't matter what, whether it's on your car repayment or on your home loan, generally you shouldn't have more than those two. <laughs> but if you have other credit facilities, mm. tell all your creditors, first thing you do is tell everybody that you have been retrenched. So now the plan that you had made is not going to stick. Can they help you? And you'd be surprised how many providers will help you. Well, one of the big things is credit insurance as well. Um, where a lot of people don't even realize it. On your credit card, you have credit insurance. If you've got credit, you most likely have credit insurance, which in many cases actually has a retrenchment cover, and people don't realize that. They cash in their retrenchment package and settle the debt without realizing that they actually have provision for it. So I suppose, again, it comes down to know what cover you have. Even if you've got um, policies in place, you may have some sort of retrenchment um, protection in there. Know what you have, and, and like you said, calm down. Don't panic. Think this through. Think this through. Don't make an emotional decision. Mm. Any financial, in fact, any decision you make under an emotional state, you will most likely regret. And especially when it comes to money. Mm. Money in particular, you have to keep cool, calm and collected. And just understand that if there's a plan in place, it's going to kick in. Mm. If there isn't a plan in place, meet with your professional financial advisor. Sit with your creditors. Phone or communicate with all your creditors to tell them. This is the position I'm in. What can you do to help me? Mm. And you'd be surprised. And I mean, we're talking about retrenchment, but any big life event has a massive emotional component. It's often a time of panic. I can tell you now, with my own experiences, uh, about a year and a half ago, my father just dropped dead. And he was a very healthy guy. He was uh, had no health problems whatsoever. He was 60 years old. And within 48 hours from 
within 48 hours, our, our lives changed forever mm. Mm. as his kids. And obviously me, I happen to be the oldest in my family. So my mom then becomes my, I'm the, the new man in her life, mm. if you mm. want to call it mm. that. The reason I'm saying all of this is because the emotional trauma around death in particular, it's a horrible thing to mm. discuss, but mm. we are discussing mm. it. Death, at any point, you are even if you're prepared for it, you are never, ever prepared for how it will make you feel. Mm. You mm. are prepared for the event, financially speaking, hopefully. Hopefully. And if you're not, either way, it's traumatic. Mm. And money makes it just that little bit easier. Having money. Having money. Yeah. Not having money. Not having money makes can it make it worse. have the exact opposite mm. effect. Mm. Mm. And it makes it much worse. Mm. So... And I will openly admit this, and my mom has given me full permission to discuss this story. Is she listening? I hope so. A few months prior to my father just dropping, he was healthy. Okay, so being more old school, my mom decided, no, he's paying too much for his life insurance. Maybe we should reduce it or even cancel it. I didn't take that as an answer, as a given. As a given. And I basically told her, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and whatever it is, he was self-employed. He had his own catering oh, okay. business. Mm -hmm. And the long and the short of it is already when the doctors told us, no, he's had the severe stroke. He is not going to make it. Go say your goodbyes. I already looked at her and I said, you're going to be fine financially. And that was my own mom. Mm. So obviously a huge relief from my side as well, knowing that, She's going to be taken care of. And it wasn't much because he took life. My father was not a life insurance believing individual. And he produced he was, you as a son. <laughs> and he, and, he, and I, exactly. And obviously Murphy's Law, he's got me as a son. Well, thank goodness he had you as a son. Exactly. Because I forced him to buy life Absolutely. insurance when I joined the industry. Mm. But he didn't for many years until about seven years ago. And he only passed away two years ago. Sure. So he couldn't buy much because it was mm. very expensive. Mm. But he bought something. And mm. at least my mom is not left with a big home loan or a big any – she can live her life and mm. she can maintain mm. her standard of living. And mm. even now we are looking at she most likely won't have enough. So that's where retirement plays a role. It all forms part of a bigger picture. And I would say the emotional – in fact, I would say it's all emotional. As brokers and financial advisors, we wear our hearts on our sleeves and we work emotionally. It's mm. an emotional sale. Mm. Mm. It's an emotional purchase. The policyholder buys it begrudgingly, knowing that they really don't want to see this kick into action. But if it happens, they want it to be in place. Mm. And I can assure you now, there is nothing more. And other than my father, I've had other claims as well in my career, long-term insurance claims, mostly severe illness claims. Those individuals, their lives are changed forever for the good once they see this stuff in action. I think it's one of those things that you only realize the value of it when, when you need it. I was reading the uh, recent survey by Discovery on the insurance gap for young professionals. I mean, we're talking about your father, who's much older. I was shocked by the number of mortalities in car accidents, how many young people, young professionals are dying in, in car accidents. But what was also concerning is that in many car accidents, you know, you don't die. You're left disabled. And that, so right, you're maybe a young professional and unlike your, your dad, you don't have somebody to support. You don't have a family. But if you're left disabled or you're unable to work for a period of time due to the accident, this becomes very serious because you're maybe 200 paychecks away from retirement. Or you've just started a family and you've got school fees to pay and you've got a family to support. How do you have that conversation? 
this is my playground. <laughs> That's what I do. I have these conversations with people. There are so many financial instruments available. We are almost blessed to have. In fact, we are blessed to have these products available. There are very intelligent people, much more intelligent than me, actuaries who sit and work out exactly what it will cost to educate your child, what it will cost to maintain your standard of living. That would be the advisor's role. These are calculations and discussions you should be having with your financial advisor, specifically around life-changing events like a car accident or an illness. You say car accident. In fact, I would argue that And I haven't seen the latest claim stats, but I would argue that a lot of the claims are actually illness claims, even though these are individuals under. I think these were sub 30, but certainly your 30 to 39 year old is sitting more with with critical illness. I'm very surprised to see the figures. Cancer, cancer Cancer. claims coming through, breast cancer for women. Um, It's quite, it's actually very concerning. It's extremely concerning. And and a lot of people think, no, I'm sorted through my, my employer. The cover you get through your employer's group scheme is not as wide as a personal policy can be. There's a limit to how much the group can will pay. There's often gaps in between those stages from claim stage until it actually starts kicking in. What do you do in that gap? Mm. You understand there's little things. Medical aid premiums. Who's going to pay those? Your advisor, there are mechanisms in place that will waive those premiums for the rest of that individual's working life. There are mechanisms in place that will pay for their children's education if something happens. So children's education, I mean, that's that's quite a big one. I mean, I want to know if something happens to me that my children, they're both at private schools. It's not inexpensive. And I'm not sure, you know, that's that's a fair amount of cover you need to have to, to keep that in place. So one of the biggest fears I have as a father of three myself is that those school fees will be paid if something happens to me. Because kids are absolutely entitled to an education, and that is a parent's duty. So if your children are at private schools, you need to make provision for that. And the beauty of it is that it's not that difficult. You sit down with your advisor and you discuss a an education product, an education solution. I advocate the Global Education Protector, which is a fantastic offering for, especially for ind- working individuals with young kids who are still prone to these vehicle accidents, to illnesses, etc., I know that currently there are thousands of children that are being educated by, or not educa- not being educated by the insurers, but that the insurers are funding education for. So these are, are kids who've, who've, who've lost their parents? Kids who've either lost mm. their parents or their parents have suffered a life-changing event like cancer or a disability. And I mean, that's big for them that they can continue, the children can continue to stay at school. Right up until matric plus a four-year mm. tertiary globally. That in itself is absolutely world-class. So that particular solution has been around for quite some time. There are other instruments we should also look at when it comes to education planning. Okay, uh, this is my question, all right? What if the big event doesn't happen? Okay, so right now, so say I go along and I meet with you and you say, take out this global education protector. If you die, your kids are fine. Well, the problem is if I don't die, are my kids fine? Because I'm spending so much money on the premiums of the, the life protection, I'm not saving for their education. How do you find that balance? Brilliant question. And education savings traditionally or education planning is working on what happens now. If something happens now, are my kids going to be okay? And when hopefully nothing happens, which is the plan, am I going to have enough to 
be able to give them the best. The traditional answer is you sit down with your advisor and work out a savings plan as well, together with an insurance plan, which does become quite pricey. I was just wondering when I'm going to eat, but yes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Put petrol in the yeah. car, at least have a holiday every now and then. Every now and then you can go and take a holiday, take a walk. But I can tell you, as far as it goes with children, we have a product currently. I mean, there are products. There is one in particular, The global, the up until September last year, the Discovery Global Education Protector has been enhanced significantly to encourage young parents to buy it when their kids are newborn and can be done a bit later, but obviously the benefits are going to be a bit less because now we're getting less time in. It's all about time. You've got to see it long term. So you know you've just had a kid. You know that with everything going well, you are going to have to pay for tertiary. Even though it seems a far, far away as a new parent, it's actually only 18 years away. We say if you buy the Global Education Protector now, we will make sure that if either parent gets sick, disabled or passes away during their children's earlier years, so pre-tertiary education, Mm -hmm. we will take on, like traditionally with the old product, we will pay Mm -hmm. right up until matric plus a four-year tertiary. Mm -hmm. The new version, we will not only do that, but we've added another layer, a university funding layer. So an insurance product all of a sudden becomes a cash product incentivizing you to live well. So based on your wellness engagement through vitality and your status through vitality, we will bank a status every year. And based on that, we will pay up to 100% of your child's tertiary for three years. In Even if you're healthy, well, and running around fit and the earning an income. Even more so. We actually want you to be mm. healthy and well, mm. and we will reward you mm. for it by paying. Because I've always wondered about this, this vitality thing, because, you know, I'm taking out the life cover and then you're making absolutely sure I don't get sick or ill or need the life cover. <laughs> so, Adam, another really big part of preparing for the unexpected is actually the paperwork. Now, I have to confess, there was only about a year ago that I put together a life book. And I now have a book that has all my policies, my bank details, my investments, and everything in it in one place uh, that, that if something happens to me, it's quite easy for my husband or my financial advisor to, to be able to execute. Is this something that generally a financial advisor would assist with? In my opinion, absolutely. We know everything about our clients in, for, as, far as, for, as far as personal. Uh, uh, an advisor worth their weight needs to know everything about their client's intentions Finances, health, objectives. It's the most personal stuff that an individual keeps. It's information that is so personal and it doesn't really get more personal. Mm. So absolutely the advisor must get involved. There is a money objective because now there is no voice. Mm. So if that individual has passed away, that advisor's job is to make those dependents feel or at least Relate to them that there was a plan and there is a plan and they're going to be fine. Mm, mm. And as far as the admin goes, you will help them. Every claim that I've had, thankfully I haven't had too many long-term insurance claims, but every claim that I've had, we've filled in those documents at the hospital. Okay, So the advisor absolutely has to go and do everything possible because that is actually what you've been paid for. Mm. Not only for the advice, but to actually execute the promise that you've made to your client. That in itself is a huge undertaking that your client who may not be able to voice their views anymore is relying on you. I mean, that that's actually one of the reasons I have a financial advisor, just so there's somebody who knows what needs to happen. Because if my husband and I, God forbid, are on the same plane together, you know, do they know what my requirements and wishes are if something mm-hmm. happens to the kids? 
But now I've been thinking about this. I mean, I've been visualizing my life book, which I've got at home, and it's in an actual file and it's real and you can open the pages. But you are a tech person. So where do you have a life file? Where is that life file? So I do have a life file. It's in, in paper. It's on paper and I've got nothing to do with it. My wife has taken care of that, even though I'm dead against it. You're not against the Not against the life book. Against, against keeping the paper. it on paper. Okay. I find paper quite fallible, if you want to call it that. <laughs> the The way that the world works today is you can store stuff in the air and in the clouds and on servers. Okay, I'm sorry. But um, no one knows my passwords. So what happens? Okay, so you, if you went and put this life book up in the cloud, um, how does your wife or your advisor get hold of it? So that's a great question, Maya. <laughs> but I would say I'm still on the side of paper for the life book. Fair enough, and my wife would agree with you. But in my opinion, all you do is instead of keeping a big life book in your study or wherever you're keeping it safe, rather write down the one little password. To your maybe to your Gmail account and give it to your spouse and your spouse will then log into that and maybe put all your passwords on one email telling her exactly what to do that you've emailed to yourself. Things like that. You can get really creative with technology. I'll tell you what I've done. I have, I'm afraid I've gone back to paper, but I have put on all my passwords and I have written them down in a cryptic way that only my husband can sort of unlock because <laughs> there's certain things he'll know, references that he'll understand, that that's what the word actually means. Thank you very much, Adam, for joining us today. Please join us for our next episode when we discuss Smart Money Moves for the High Flyers. You've been listening to Smart Money, brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is cliffcentral.com.